Hey, Brian. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? Hello, sneak over there as well. Hello, how are you doing? All right. <laughs> it's great to be yeah. back here. You've come back to the science Yeah, show. just been in the canal again, fishing for some sticklebacks. Did you, did you like it last time? I loved it, yeah. So I come in and you're, you're Steve Lee, right? And you're some kind of academic at Cambridge and your mate That's... Nick over there. Hello. He's an, he's an academic at the university, so that's to the right, yeah? That's right, we've got... And you talk about, in the shed, I remember, Yeah. you talk about stuff to do with science. Is, is that, That's what that's it is, what we're, we're still doing that. I tell you what, tell you what, if you bring your sticklebacks in and sit down, we'll do one just for you right now. Great, mate. I'll pop them in this jar here. Is that all right? That's fantastic. They'll be fine. Wouldn't it be grand? Grand. Science shed. We're in the science shed. Science shed. Science shed! Come on, Steve. Bunsen. Dolly. Internal. Combustion. Why do we need? Petri. Dishes. Oscar. Bay. Isaac. Newton. Transplanting. You know what else, Steve, about London I found out today? Because I used what? to live here. You did, yeah. So I used to come into where we were sitting there in Guy's Hospital every day because I did my PhD here. Yeah. Actually in this building, was it? It wasn't in the tower, it was in Thomas Guy House, which is right. next to the tower. So we're probably, if I looked out the window behind me, I'd probably be able to see the roof of yeah. where my lab was. Anyway, on the in those days, I had like this thing called a London transport card. Right, so it's a pre-oyster. Oh, there was no oyster. We're it's talking dream 2000, the, oyster. the year 2000, right, okay. 2001. So it was an LT card. I could get 33% off because I was a student. You couldn't yeah. get it on a travel card because the trains weren't involved then. Right. So they wouldn't let you. So I had to get a bus and then a tube and couldn't get the train. Anyway, but in those days with the cards, yeah. like the things you put in, I perfected it so I'd walk, you know, at a respectable pace, three miles an hour yeah. towards the gates. So I'm walking along and I'd put my arm out in front of me and with absolute precision. You knew exactly the, the height. The card would slot in, right, yeah. and come out. And as I walked through, I'd pull it out. And, and the, the gate would open. open before my body was so anywhere near. So it's completely near. fluid. It was there a was fluid no, there motion. Was no, okay. If you if you were if you removed every other object around and you, you just, just look like you're walking, walking. you'd just be no no hesitation in step. Just walk you can imagine a YouTube through. video, but just you just see the, the the ticket just fly through the air and you catch it again. Exactly. Wow. It doesn't happen anymore, Steve. No. Today I did the same, and I f- was physically body checked. By the barrier. Which then opened. It wasn't a problem with them not opening. There's just some more delay in them now. So technology is going backwards is what you're saying. It is. Oh, know. dear. Anyway. All right. Well. Well, anyway, so hopefully. Well, now we're here. Yeah. And, we're, and it's nice and well kind of cloudy. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get on with some science. Let's do it, Steve. Woo! Hey! <laughs> Sorry. Do you like spicy food? Oh, I like spicy food up to a point. Up until a point. So I, I really like spicy food. Yeah. And my preferred heat of a dish at uh, a curry house would be a medium, a medium. curry. So, so a jalfrezi is too much for you? No, jalfrezi is a medium curry. Jalfrezi is a hot curry. I would call a jalfrezi a medium curry. A hot curry would be like a vindaloo or a fowl. Right, okay. Well, or a madras. A madras is hotter than a jalfrezi. No, disagree. I, I think a madras is hotter than a jalfrezi. <laughs> but anyway, my my idea of a jalfrezi is slightly milder than your idea of a jalfrezi. Okay. Well, yours is clearly an incorrect view of a, uh, a jalfrezi. Oh, right. Okay, we're going there, aren't we? <laughs> We don't anyway, the same curry houses, obviously. Indeed, it's probably different in the uh, in the East Midlands. Um, Tooting, <laughs> I live in Tooting for ten years. 
you arrogant bastard. <laughs> anyway, um, do you know, so the, I've got something that I found out and it really annoyed me and I thought I want, I want to tell you about it. Oh, about great. Chilies. Okay. So do you know, do you know how you measure that, how hot a chili is? Yeah. There's that thing. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's in like units of units of making your eyes weep. It's um, it's called the Scoville unit, I think, is what you're referring to. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So something like a ghost chili or the Naga chili has like several million Scoville units. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and something like a jalapeno has about is a few like thousand. How much you can, when you can taste it in a glass of water or something with a particular this, volume. Or this like this is what annoys me. So do you know how you define it? It's so <laughs> so it's subjective. Totally subjective. Totally subjective. Okay. So, so the thing that, <clears throat> the, 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 the compound that, um, that you're tasting that kind of hot flavor is a com- predominantly a compound called capsaicin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a kind of compound which you is know, that how you say it? Yeah, capsaicin. I thought it was capsicum. No, no, no. Capsicum. No, that's the that's the Latin name for a pepper. Capsicum. Isn't it? Yeah. Capsicums. Capsaicin is the is the compound, the chemical compound that's hot. No, it's capsicum. No, it's not. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so you'd expect as what? a chemist, yeah. right? That the that the Scoville unit would just be some proportionality to the These concentration. It's really God. annoying me, Nick. <laughs> right? So you would think it would be like it's like you know how. Um, so for instance, there's a, a like a like a hand of a horse. You know, when they say a, a horse is fifteen hands tall yeah. or whatever, right? It has some relevance to you know. It's just a hand is fifteen inches or whatever yeah, the yeah. distance is, right? It's defined. It just so happens that there's another unit which people use that's more which more common in that particular parlance. Super happy with that. Fine. So I started looking at it the other day. I was like, okay, a Scoville unit. What is this? I'm expecting it to basically be some some constant multiplied by the concentration of capsaicin, right? Because that's what it is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What it is, right? The way they measure the capsaicin is they take they take a, um, they say they take five people <laughs> who that who are trained to taste hot things, right? <laughs> and then they serially dilute the compound, the hot compound, the chili, right. in water, right? Up until the point that three out of the five people can't taste it anymore, can't <laughs> taste any chili. And at that point, they would say that it's that the, the number of times fold you had to dilute it in order to be able to not taste it anymore. <laughs> Is a Scoville unit. So, do we know? How annoying is that? That's really annoying. Oh, it's so annoying. It's, I, and I can see that you're raging inside, and I want to try and diffuse this <laughs> by trying to offer you a practical solution, the way out. So, is there? Has it been defined that um, the mass of capsaicin is correlated with the heat of a particular chili? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. So, so if you, you, so if, you took, them... if you if you took a um, like a bird's eye chili. And then you just extracted the capsaicin out of it and you looked at the concentration of it versus, say, a jalapeno. There would just be more of it in there. So it is purely related. Well, why don't they is. just use the mass of capsaicin? <laughs> I don't know, Nick. I, why don't they? That's what I would do. It's just interesting, isn't it? Because it's completely subjective. It's like the equivalent of using a cubit for a length of mass. You know, it's for worse, a, for, for it's like worse the, than that, though, because a cubit is pretty well defined, isn't it? Well, it's got to have a big error bar, right? You know, yeah, like a cubit's okay. the distance between your elbow and your wrist, right? You know, that little... Well, middle, the, the, tip of your middle finger, isn't tip it? Tip of your middle finger of some Egyptian. Yeah, yeah, It's just so frustrating that you would think that... Because people say, oh, this is 612 Scoville units hot or something. And you're just like, well, basically there's an error, error plus or minus probably two orders of magnitude, depending on who tried it that day, right? So is it definitely only the capsaicin that causes the heat? 
Um, as far it's as I'm aware, complex. as far as I'm aware, yeah. Because another thing that's difficult to divine for exactly the same way is is aroma or smell, right? Because it's a purely subjective sensation. Well, I mean, you can define a, con- a concentration of a known yeah, thing. a known thing. Yeah. But some sometimes this is why I was asking you whether or is is it definitely true that it's just yeah. capsaicin? Because with the smell of some perfume, for instance, yeah. There's a variety of different odors which all contribute. But that's, but that's because a, a perfume is a complicated mixture, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's lots. But of But I would say smells. a chili's a complicated. I, okay, that was how a chemist <laughs> would see a chili. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, so if you go back, so in smells, what they do is they put them through a gas chr- uh, chromatograph, and what happens is that you know some of the smells come out at different rates, and so you yeah, can take yeah, something yeah. that's quite complicated, you like just a analyze perfume. the makeup of it chemically. Exactly. So you can say that after a little, after some time, one smell comes out, and then another smell, and another smell, and you can separate those smells out in time, and then extract exactly which one of those each one of those things and then smell them. them. Exactly, and that's how you do things like. Um, that's how you know if you wanted to work out what was in a perfume that's how you that's do really it that's really interesting so you could so people do that in a, a scientific way so you'd, you'd you'd smell a rose petal or yeah. something and then they just still it, distill it down and exactly. then look at the this, ratios this of a, the concentrations of all of the things and then you could synthesize it maybe absolutely this is how you know, right you know strawberry flavoured things yeah that's exactly how we do that Really? So, so strawberry flavored things came from exactly that analysis. They were they're taking a complicated mixture. I forget exactly what they started with, and they were smelling it, and they came up with one comment. They're like, "Oh, that smells a little bit like strawberries." Right. right. And so you know how the strawberry flavor stuff doesn't really taste or smell like strawberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because that one person thought it did, and then they worked yeah. out how because you can chemically synthesize that strawberry like compound for much cheaper than you can grow strawberries for. So yeah. that's why people do it. See, my farts smell a little bit like <laughs> kebab sometimes. Oh, God. And a special kebab which I had in Nottingham in about 1998 from this one shop. Right, okay. I wonder whether we could gra- gas chromatograph my farts. farts and try and recreate the odour of the kebab or compare it with the kebab. Well, I think we've got our weekend sorted. So <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> Yes, Stephen, what's wrong? What's going on in your head? <laughs> Tell me about what's happening in your head. I, um, hold on, there's two things I wanted to talk to you Not about. much is going on in your yeah, head, is not it? Not at the moment, no. Oh, dear. Um, I've, I've, I came across this paper. Oh. Um, and it was actually, you might have seen it, actually, because you, you normally check the um, news and views and comments of nature and science, don't you? Quite often. Mm, not often. Okay, so you probably haven't come across it. Like I do occasionally. Thing. I get the email and I scroll down the email to see whether there's anything relevant to the research I do. Right. And that's about as far as I dip into nature and science. Okay. Week. So there was a, in Nature this week, um, there was a comment about a paper published in the... Um, it's the, the Proceedings of the Royal Society. Okay. If there's a lot of philosophical transactions. The chaps who fund your research, Steve, the Royal Society, great society. The oldest learned society in the world. Very nice people work for the Royal Society as well. That's true, yeah. Including my friend Mark. Oh, yeah. We met Mark, didn't we? We ran into him. Possibly our mutual friend, Susan. No, she's Royal Society of Chemistry, she works for. Oh, okay. Oh, God. I'm footing it there. Yeah, you really have. Anyway, you really, yeah, stop stop trying to name drop. But yeah, we'll talk about you another time. Um, Have you given us any money yet? Have they given us any money yet? They are, no, they haven't given us any money. Okay. But I've done a couple of things for them, so maybe they should. Um, Anyway, this paper written by, uh, this is from Berkeley, the University of Berkeley. 
Oh, Which University is California, in California. Yeah, we've been to the campus. Of Berkeley. I've been there. I went to watch Bob Dylan at the Berkeley Amphitheater. That's cool. Um, so this, the, by the lead author, is called Oliver M. O'Reilly. It's a good name, isn't it? So, <laughs> it was in the lab. So I shouldn't do just lazy racial <laughs> nationalistic stereotypes. That's true. Sorry, Irish people. I just love doing Irish accents. It just really it just makes you happy. Gets me off. It? I love um, it. So. Let me tell you the title of this paper. Mm. The Roles of Impact and Inertia in the Failure of a Shoelace Knot. Oh, this has been all over the bloody news. <laughs> oh, you've has. seen this one? Yeah, it's been all over the news, but I've not. I seen <clears> it and I thought I'm not reading it because I can I already. Oh, what those scientists do getting paid to bloody do nothing. <laughs> Who cares about their shoelace? What are they doing? Are they getting funded? So, if you have I got news for you, probably. Yeah, so. It's kind of interesting because it goes back to what we're talking about before about funding stuff for the sake of doing it. So anyway, there's a bunch of engineers. um, And let me read you the abstract of the paper because it's quite easy. Don't read the whole thing. Okay. So it says, The accidental untying of a shoelace while walking often occurs without warning. In this paper, we discuss the series of events that lead to a shoelace not becoming untied. Right. So what they did is they basically got a load of people to run um, on a treadmill. Mm. um, And then they had like a 900 frames per second camera, like a high speed camera pointed at their shoes. And then they also added an an accelerometer and a bunch of other kind of, um, uh, metrics, uh, um, so they could record the forces and the acceleration of, um, uh, shoelaces. Yeah. And what they found is, so this, so that in the paper, I read the paper, they, they, um, where did they put the accelerometers on the shoelace or on the foot all over the place? They did both. So one of them is on the, on the main bit just above the the, uh, foot and they also put them on the end of the shoelace. Did they change some parameters? They changed, well, they kept all the variables constant as much as they could. But they probably changed one thing to find out how that would affect the time. Yeah. So what, so there's two models. One is that as you're running. Can I speculate first? Yeah. All right. So I reckon the longer the bit that sticks out, yeah. So if you've got a bow, yeah. are they tied in the conventional shoelace? They are way? conventional shoelace. Not double knotted. Actually, I'll show you the, uh, the uh, there's actually a diagram. There's, there's them drawing the shoelace. That's a re- like a reef knot. Yeah. Anyway, so I reckon the length of that spare bit that sticks out yeah. has a significant impact on the untying. So like you're, you're, that would be you're, my you're, hypothesis. You're, I would control you're talking that. To, you're, you're downstream of what they were looking at. You've got to look higher up. So the question is, do shoelaces fail? Because they slowly slip and slip and slip, or do shoelaces have a catastrophic event whereby at some point they become undone, right? And that might be to do with the function of the lace length, but they weren't testing that. They were I'd say the two are inextricably linked. So what they found when they studied this on, I think they did a series of people and a series of running styles and all that kind of thing, theories of shoes and laces. They definitely become gradually undone. No. They do become That's gradually not, And if you look in the SI of the paper, they've got it in slow motion. Of like, you see, what happens is catastrophically, at one point when you're running, your shoelace just undoes a lot. And then it becomes. Oh, right. And then okay. it, then, see, then it, then it, but yeah, what yeah. it doesn't do is slip and slip and slip and slip. It just, no, just no, all no. goes in one go. Okay. Right. And what they found is that in these accelerometers, they said that at some points, the shoelaces were experiencing up to 7G. Yeah, that's um, quite In a, a single lot. step. All right. Which, which in, part of the shoelace, though? Like, that was on the, the top of the bit. shoe. Yeah. Hmm. The snap back of the lace. Yeah. But yeah, they they plotted it in this. You know what, Steve? I'm no longer interested in this story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's fun, right? It's definitely fun, and it's called, it's got no massive application. I mean, they said this. They they do claim some application that you might be able to use it for um, some various, you know, athletes and things. See, like I that. Know, I I noticed, right? I've got different shoelaces. I'm I'm a, I'm not a shoelace man, actually. <laughs> I was a fan of Velcro. I like this. I used to Nick, wear stands. Not sure. Would that be when you stand for a political office one day? Is that going to be your straggline? I am not 
a shoelace nah. fan. I stand on a platform of no shoelaces. shoelaces. Okay. I yeah. like the Velcro ones. You like the Velcro. Because I'm just a lazy person. I don't right. like tying them and I don't like bending over and right. all that sort of thing. But I, I've got so different like the, shoelaces like on different... But I know... the future ones. I know... I know uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do themselves up. Yeah. No, I've got... I notice on different shoes, I've got different qualities of shoelace. Yeah. And on my sort of crappy trainers, you know, yeah. sneakers for you. I know there's American listeners out there on the <laughs> West Coast and in the Midwest of the I'm sure USA. they appreciate you doing yeah. their accent too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know oh, that on yeah. their sneakers, those shoelaces, they're kind of like not very well textured and they undo more quickly than on my boots. So on my boots, the shoelaces are sort of more cylindrical and they're more textured. But and again, I think there's going, a grippy thing. You're going downstream. The question is the mechanism by which they come undone. Is it that you they all go at once or do they slowly slip? And what they found But is, I reckon some shoelaces never un- undo. They try different shoelaces. I reckon some, like if you do them up properly on my boots, they just won't come undone. Well, it depends how long it is. If you walk forever. Well, I reckon they gradually loosen, then they do a sort no, of catastrophic No, that's not what they thing. found. That's not what they, I don't no, believe it. That, <laughs> there's like a there's loads of slow I'll read. I'll tell you what, I'll read the paper and yeah. I won't understand it. Uh, you will, it's really easy to read. I'll read the paper then yeah. and then I'll give you my critique. Okay, well, it's But I'm that. not really that impressed by this stupid paper that's been all over <laughs> but, the news. But, okay, but in general, do you think this idea of like trying where, to where find... Where is this group, by the way? Berkeley. Berkeley. So it's, oh, a, it's a probably you know, research-intensive <laughs> bunch of Berks. Oh, God. <laughs> no, carry on. Yeah, you know, no, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah, so you, is, you is make there so a you utility find, in something doing in doing something that's well, fun. I, I'm going to link that to yeah. some research that I know a bit about because okay. I recently examined a thesis of okay. a student, and he was developing a sensor for a shoe for people who have um, diabetes or vascular disease. So, as uh-huh. you may know, people with diabetes have high blood sugar. Yeah. Right, and sugar's toxic at high amounts. Yeah, we I think spoke we've about discussed that. this before. Yeah. Um, and that causes small blood vessels to die. And people with diabetes, they'll often get a blood vessel, a nerve dysfunction in their feet. Okay. So you stop feeling things and you don't alter how you walk to compensate when, for instance, you get a, a damage on it. If you, if you hurt your foot slightly, you will walk differently. You're limp or whatever. Yeah, because right? yeah. you'll know it and yeah. you'll, you won't put pressure on it and the rest of it. Diabetic people, they lose the sensation, so they'll walk until they get a really bad injury on their mm. foot because they can't feel it. There's no feedback there. Makes sense. So, um, because they don't have that sense of feedback, he his argument was, well, we're going to develop a shoe which has a, a variety of different sensors on it, yeah. which will feed back to the person to tell them that their foot is in trouble. So they get like a little buzz on their Apple Watch or something saying yeah, their, feet's, or, their you feet's know, hurting. Or something like that or some kind of... Yeah. So he had developed a shoe which had a number of sensors, including accelerometers and including... Um, humidity sensors, uh-huh. um, including even a, gal- a gal- galvanic skin sensor, right. so detects yeah. skin sweat. current basically. Yeah, yeah well, it uses sweat to detect the uses yeah. the current to detect how much sweat. So um, yeah, I mean, I suppose that type of foot sensor is something which is a bit linked to something looking so, at acceleration. But, so, so I, I mean, guess, maybe yeah. there's a catastrophic event that your but, toe would drop off. But it's interesting, right? So you're you're you're, you're Treating this with contempt, right? But we just spoke. I'm not we, with we, just, con- we just spoke. I call for, it contempt. Or, I'd say sort of okay, um, annoyance, annoyance and ridicule. But you know, we were saying we just had a big discussion about how CRISPR and Cas9 fun comes out of people just doing stuff yeah, we, because it's fundamentally interesting. We may have discussed that on a previous podcast. That may have happened yeah. on a previous podcast. <laughs> but we we have spoken before yes. about how um, you know fundamental interest, fundamental interest in a problem, i.e., Casper. Um, Sorry, Casper, Crisp Nine, Cas Nine. God. 
<laughs> Christopher Cas Nine. Grip Steve. Yeah, man. Jesus, a long day. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I quite like fun papers. I think I think if people publish more of those, it would be so. One, it would be interesting. I think the the, the public really like these things, right? They like they like to know that there's people kind of trying to find some interesting fundamental science is something that seems relatively mundane it seems relatively yeah you know a, you know something we're all familiar with tying our shoes well i think it is i mean and uh, another example of that is like when it, when i saw that i i didn't read it but i thought about origami and things and people are in, very interested in the way that paper folds and it's like yeah. there's actually like some kind of higher branch of mathematics basically yeah. folding. yeah and i have a friend of mine his brother is a scientist who works on folding the sort of the sort of intrinsic mathematics of the folding yeah but it's got loads of applications in like how satellites fold up when you put them in a rocket to send them into space right, the kind of optimum spe- way to exactly because space is very given uh, premium a, in a rocket given a number of constraints yeah right. how do you yeah. fold them up so that's got a very definite aim so i thought when the not thing was going on i didn't think it was about that i thought it was to do with no 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 it's just about the shape they're, they're engineers and they're talking about knots it's not it's nothing more highbrow than well that. i hope i hope that they are not going to do any more of that i hope they in the not. future yes hmm. <laughs> Nick, Steve, I've been um, following March for Science. Have you? Been oh, it March happened, didn't it? Yeah, there was loads of loads of really good tweets. So Steve and I are recording. It's the twenty fifth of April today, it I is. believe. It was like, yeah. and it was at the weekend, so it's just come off the back of the weekend. So we had a conversation um, in podcast twenty two, I believe, about March for Science, and it was annoying me because I didn't see the point in a British March for Science because I think we're not really under threat in the UK as much no. as they are in the states and it's fair play to the americans and all the rest of it but they're so terribly earnest the americans this. yeah about this. and we were i was recounting some of the <laughs> things like the that they that said on their wall yeah i don't like i uh, don't like avert earnestness and treating themselves. you like you like people to be humble don't you i like no. a bit more humbleness and you know you're taking not not taking yourself so it's, seriously it's just like it ted talks me. all over again isn't i don't it? like people taking themselves seriously. anyway but I thought that some of the signs were pretty good, and I'm sure you've seen. Oh, some I saw of the some signs. of the signs that were good. Some of them annoyed me because they're kind of like just so geeky as to be right up your own bottom. But there's there's a balance to be had there between between kind of uh, you know in, in, in encompassing people. Like you won't get everyone to understand it, but you also want it to be a little bit relevant, right? Otherwise, no yeah. point just saying like you know like stop the war, you know. Yeah. You know, you but all... everyone hates a geek, and if you get over geeky, it just does your head in. Does doesn't everyone it? hate a geek? Everyone like hates it. a geek. I don't think that's true. Uh, I think a lot of people hate a geek. They're kind of annoying and finicky and sort Do you know of the etymology of the word geek? No, I don't. So a geek was uh, a person in a circus that used to bite the heads off chickens. Is that really true? Yeah, that's the definition. I'm a bit sceptical when people feed me definitions because I've been burnt so much in the past. You know that whole port out starboard oh, home thing? that's not thing? true, yeah, yeah. Well, of course it's not true, <laughs> which I found out when I was very young. But it's one of those things that you get fed all the time. Right, and you just yeah. have to sort of um, well, suck it up. you can fact check it. You know, I'm interested in it. I'm mm. sure it's. I'm sure it's correct. Anyway, I've got. A, I've got a list of the signs here. Right. From that, and I want. It, I want you to say sort of good or bad. Yeah. Or no. So it's thumbs up. So the first one, so like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But we have to do it in an audible way because the, okay. can't, the listeners can't, all yeah. the lovely listeners can't um, see you. Anyway, here's one. So this was a sort of test tube, picture of a test tube on it. Got it. an arrow pointing to the top bit and a bit of stuff at the bottom of the test tube looked yeah. like some powder. It says, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. I don't know why I'm doing that in an Australian <laughs> accent. But. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's not good because precipitate isn't really relevant to... It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work so, on any so level. There's another one saying, like, scientists create solutions and then you could have a picture of, like, a conical flask. That would work. Yeah, that would yeah. be good. But what? why but would be? Why would being be in a precipitate part, bath? Yeah, exactly. If you're part of the precipitate. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I agree. And that's not even relevant. It's not precipitate pre- could be some gold or something. Yeah, you could. <laughs> could be amazing. You could be precipitating gold. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, Obviously, it'd be very difficult to precipitate gold. Unless, a, of course, it was in Aqua Regia. Here's another um, one. Um, Nick, ignoring my acid reference there. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Sorry, I was going on to the next one. Okay, yeah, so I don't like that one. That's a, so Here's uh, the next one. Proteus vulgaris, potus vulgaris. Both a threat to women's health. Very good. Do you get it? Potus, President of the United States. Exactly. Do you know what proteus vulgaris is? As presumably some kind of infection. It's a bacterial yeah. infection often in the urinary tract. Right. Quite tenuous, though, because it's not very well known. No. No. So I can see what they're trying to do there, but ultimately it's a bit over-contrived, I Just thought. a bit, yeah, a bit, yeah. Do you know what my favourite one was? Give me it. So there was, a, there was a, it's very simple, but sometimes the simpler the best. It's a dog. Yeah. Dog had a, a dog had a um, sign on it. Yeah. Support labs. <laughs> Is that it? And the dog was a Labrador. <laughs> Isn't it good? Isn't it good? I like that one. I saw another one with a dog with a sign on it. It said yeah. alternative cats on it. <laughs> I quite like that one. Didn't write that, that one down. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, here we are. I, there's another one. Let me let me know. Won't you say what I feel about it? Now I'm a mad scientist. That's good. Yeah, I yeah, like that. That's all right. That's good. It's simple. Because a mad scientist is a thing, unlike being exactly. part of the precipitation. Yeah, it works on yeah. two levels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's often the key to a joke, isn't it? <laughs> it's the constantly, yeah. it's Here's another, Here's not, another. We don't go through much <laughs> humour training as scientists, do we? Here's another one. This this one. Here we go. Yeah. Science gives me a hadron. Oh, that's good. I like that one. That's good. I think that's my favourite. Yeah. Science gives me a hadron. Yeah. Hadron. Just what's, two letters. Yeah. Doctor <laughs> Science gives me a hadron. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here we go. All right. Um, hit me. Uh, what's this one here? I can't bloody read my. Oh, this is a. This is one which I found a bit overly geeky. But let's see what when you, you find these. Are you like when you saw them? You like this is going to make great podcast material. I'm writing this one down. <laughs> <laughs> it's one that said protest sign do you and know how they illustrated that, that? With, with a sine wave a sine wave it was it s-i-n-e they should have written it yeah protest sign yeah, yeah, sine wave yeah here's a boring one as well which i thought was just rubbish no science no beer that's also not true it's not true you they, had medi- they had beer in medi- they had, of course in, they in medieval england they had beer you don't you need know. you don't need science to be able to brew something up i think my favorite one which isn't funny but had a good point it had immigrant and a picture of Tesla on it, Nikola yeah. Tesla, and refugee and a picture of Einstein on it. Yeah. And I thought there's not really much more of a powerful way to explain the value. Oh, I'm going to talk about it. The value of both immigrants yeah. and refugees to the economy and the healthy functioning of society. Yeah. Well, um, the good thing is they can reuse that um, sign when we have some Brexit uh, protests too. So that would be good. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, that's what I had from March for Science. Good, good. the end of another one steve yeah it was a good one on this one yeah i always um get disappointed at the end 
But I'm always excited about the next time we do it too, and also about the possibility of having a beer now. Yeah, I think that's good, isn't it? We always finish and then decide to go and have a beer. Yeah. Um, so if you've enjoyed um, the Science Shed, uh, please like, um, favourite, subscribe, all that social networking Write jazz. us a review on iTunes if you can as well. We That'd be really fantastic. like, even if you want to write a really bad one, I I'd love to read the it. The bad ones would be good. Yeah. I'd quite like to kind of dissect the bad feedback, ones. feedback, critical ones. What are we doing wrong? <laughs> Tell us how much you hate us. Yeah, so if you go... Preferably how much you hate Steve um, and love me. <laughs> yeah if you could do that that would be fantastic Thanks, great um also get in contact on us on twitter i'm steve the chemist at the evans lab and uh, we'll see you next time yeah we will can't wait guys come back and join us soon love you bye <laughs>